Hi, friends. Welcome to The Faithful Podcast, stories of people who walk by faith and gained a fuller understanding of the faithfulness of God. I'm your host, Stephanie Baker. Thanks so much for listening today. My guest for this episode is my friend and former pastor, Clay Bowers. We talked about how God called him to ministry and all of the challenges that brought with it. He shares about how people can be messy and mean, but how he's still seeing God's faithfulness in the midst of the struggles. So here is my interview with Clay Bowers. Hey, Clay, thanks so much for joining me on the Faithful Podcast. You are welcome, Stephanie. I'm excited to be here, and thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah, Clay, you and I have known each other now, gosh, how many years? Uh, since December 2000. 2000, 21 years. That yeah, is, oh gosh. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> that's I know. Time. 2000 feels like it was like five years ago in a lot of well, ways when you say it, and then you actually do the math, and you're like, oh, man. That was a long time ago. <laughs> a lot yeah. of time has passed. 21 years. That's crazy. Um, yeah, Clay, you were my pastor for many years, and now we have you know, a continued friendship, and we get to stay in each other's lives. But um, I'm excited for what you have to share and just the ways that God has shown his faithfulness to you over the years. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. And uh, again, just really appreciate the opportunity. Sure. So tell us a little bit about yourself and um, what you're up to these days. Okay. Well, um, I am soon to be next week. I will be 58 years old. Oh, my goodness. Wow. I know. I can't Happy early it. birthday. <laughs> um, thank you. Uh, I've been married to Belva, my wonderful wife and partner in ministry, for uh, third. It'll be 37 years in August. Oh, wow. I have two uh, grown adult children and two wonderful granddaughters that are seven weeks apart. Oh, that uh, Belva is their full-time care provider while their moms and dads work. Um, I live in uh, Texas City, down on the Gulf Coast. Okay. Uh, so that's a that's a little bit about me. I'm still I'm I'm actively pastoring. I am uh, in today's world. I think uh, I am very blessed and privileged to be able to be uh, what we call full time in vocational ministry, yeah. especially in small church settings. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, well, can you tell us a little bit about how you came to know Jesus? Yeah, I was, um, my first real exposure, my, my parents did not, um, did not go to church. Uh, I'm actually from a, a fairly long line of pastors and ministers, uh, missionaries, um, some that went out west from back east to uh, share the gospel with Indian, the Indians. Mm. Um, so I came from a long line, but, but my parents did not go to church. They didn't mind me going to church, so I kind of found my own way there yeah. um, through a friend. But my first exposure really to to the idea of, of Jesus was in fourth grade. Uh, I was, my mom and I went back to my grandma's uh, house for the summer and I went to church while I was there because she, she was a, a great Christian woman and attended mm -hmm. faithfully. And um, one day um, after the children's 
church down. It was in the basement of their of their church. Um, the children's minister kind of said, the best I remember is, you really want to be saved, don't you, Clay? Kind of as he was, you know, <laughs> pushing me to the ground, sort of, you know, um, you wow. know, coaxing me along. And so I said, of, of course. Mm-hmm. And and so I said some words, and, and that night I was baptized. Wow. Um, I was in fourth grade. That was the summer of my fourth and fifth grade year. Um, came back to California, which is where I was raised. Mm-hmm. And um, attended a church a little bit off and on, but didn't didn't stay in church. And mm-hmm. wasn't until um, wasn't until my seventh grade year that a friend um, who was I, I grew up with uh, invited me to church um, with him. And so I started attending. And it was then um, I remember it very clearly. Uh, it was on a Thursday night. The the youth group had gone to um, a skating rink, an ice skating rink for okay. um, just an outing. And someone had been baptized recently at the church. And so I said to my pastor, the pastor at the time, I said, I want to be baptized. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, well, why? Yeah. Tell, tell me why. And I really didn't know the answer to that. Yeah. And so he shared with me what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so right there um, at the ice rink, um, skating around, you know, didn't didn't bow, didn't close my eyes, but I prayed Jesus. Um, I, I knew then I understood what it meant to have sin in my life. Mm-hmm. And I knew that Jesus died for my sin. And so I asked him to forgive me and to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. And that mm-hmm. that's really what I call my salvation experience. The other thing yeah. was kind of a kind of a precursor. And yeah. I actually have found that that's not uncommon for a lot of kids. Yeah. I I can totally see that. It's um you know, we want the kids in our lives to to know and to love the Lord and sometimes it um it comes across a little more uh suggestive than we mean for it to. Right. <laughs> and, right. But that's and, yeah. And that experience has actually shaped a lot of my um, dealing with children throughout the years. I've I've had oh, yeah. some parents get pretty frustrated with me because I said, you know, just just let it, leave it alone. Mm-hmm. They're they're really not ready. They, yeah. you know, I mean, you ask a child, do you love Jesus? Is Jesus in your heart? Well, the answer is yes, of course. Yeah, especially if they're growing up in a church. Yeah, right. Especially yeah. when you've grown up in a church, but but that's not the same as having a, a a real understanding of I need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think that um, you know we use a, a there's a lot of phrasing that I've heard over the years that um, can be I I mean I get the heart behind it, but like asking Jesus into your heart, even that kind of phrasing is like well that that makes it sound like he's your your friend. Sometimes, right. and it's not, it's really more of, are you going to become a disciple of Jesus? Are you ready to count the cost and, and to right. move forward? And as a kid, yes, you don't have a full understanding of what that entails, yeah, but exactly. you can have, a, you know, you can wait until the child is, is ready to, to make right. that kind of commitment. Um, you, you know, you know, Belva and, mm-hmm. and her love for working with children. Yeah. I mean, she's with children all the time and, and she, 
is a good reminder to me all the time. She says, you need to not ask people, ask kids to invite Jesus into their heart. Mm. That, I mean, yes, it's it's a simple process, but you don't want to make it overly simple. They they need to understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, to invite him into your life. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Into your sounds really cutesy and trite. Yeah. For, for better words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we and so we try to be careful with that. Yeah, we try to use some phrasing that's like, um, you know, do you want him to be like and we use it, I think, in in baptism, like the Lord of your life. Like, do you want him to yes. be the one who's, you know, taking you're you're taking his commands and you're right. he's your commanding officer. But yeah, right. it, you're I think you've hit on a lot of really good things with with kids. It's um, it is an important time in a person's life, you know, when they are more open to um, understanding the good news of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we don't want to take that lightly, but we also want right. to make sure we're not assuming that, okay, we've made this kid say some words, so they're good. We're taken care of with them. Exactly. So, but exactly. I think I think that that's great that you've taken an experience that maybe— wasn't handled possibly in the very best way, but it was, you know, the intentions were probably good behind it, but you've allowed it to exactly, yeah. to shape the way that you you are moving forward. They they meant well, and that was also a it was a different era when yeah. when that's just how it was done. Um, but I think looking back on my life and others of my age, there was a lot of fallout to that. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, you're you're asking them to commit to something that they they don't really understand. So, um, speaking of commitment, um, tell us tell me how you got you first felt like God was maybe calling you into ministry. Oh, okay. Well, when I was when I was saved and baptized in the seventh grade, um, I really was I was all in. I um, am so thankful for. Um, some older adults in the church who were who became my spiritual parents and mm-hmm. and mentors because I didn't have I had a great home life I had great um, parents but they weren't they weren't Christians mm-hmm. they weren't yeah. followers of Jesus right and so I had people at church who really mentored me and loved me and um, helped formulate a path of spiritual growth in my life. And so I was very, um, very involved and very committed all through uh, junior high and high school. Uh, And when I got to my senior year of high school, of course, you know, everyone is talking about what are you going to do? You know, the the path to college and all those things like that. And so I did what I was supposed to do. I filled out applications and I, uh, I, I thought I wanted to be a dentist. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the direction I was leaning. Yeah. Um, and so I applied to the University of Pacific in Stockton, California, and um, but still had a lot of um, still had a lot of question about that. Um, yeah, w- if that was the right thing that I was supposed to do. And so when I received my acceptance letter, um, I remember opening it, and I, and I was glad that I was accepted, but there wasn't there wasn't any excitement about yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought there, there's this is this is not it. Mm-hmm. And um, I often joke with my sister because because she was a Christian at the time, and she was one of my mentors. And um, 
So we were talking and uh, I said, Sherry, I, I don't know what to do. Uh, and I remember her saying to me, she says, Clay, you know exactly what you need to do. Yeah. And it was just kind of like a light bulb came on and I was like, you're right, I do. God is calling me into vocational ministry. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know what that meant at the time. I didn't really know what that was. My tradition at the time didn't have a lot of options. You were going to be a pastor, and that was pretty much it. Right. Um, and so that night, it was actually on a, I think it was on a Wednesday evening, in fact, um, I went to church. My pastor at the time, my church was without a pastor. Uh, my pastor had just left. That, that was in February of my senior year. The last of January, my pastor had left my church to take a, to, to become a pastor of another church. And um, so I did what what was very commonly called back then, um, I announced my call to ministry. I surrendered to ministry. Okay. Didn't really know what that was going to be like, but I knew that God had a call on my life that was so undeniable. Yeah. Um, I wasn't sure what all it meant, but I knew that it was real and it was true and it was genuine. And so I made the decision to, um, I was scared of this to my parents uh, because, you know, they weren't involved in the church. And I just thought, oh my goodness. Um, And my grandmother that I went to visit when I was in fourth grade, she was visiting for Christmas that that year and had stayed through. And um, so I I told told my parents Mm -hmm. and they said, if that's what you think you need to do, then that's fine. Wow. In fact, my dad said, Clay, if if you feel like you want to be a, a trash collector, as long as you give it your best, I'll support you. Mm-hmm. And so um, I went to church that night and I announced my call to ministry um, and graduated that, that, that June and in August moved down to Southern California to start, uh, to start Bible college. And that's, um, and the rest, as they say, is, is history, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, that's incredible. I mean, I, I, if I was not a believer, I'm not sure how I would feel about my kid wanting to go into something. I mean, that's, that's another level of commitment. It's like, oh, this is nice if you want to go to church and enjoy the community there. But now you are all in and there comes sometimes some expectations along with that of the parents of a pastor, just like the children of a pastor. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. you know, my dad and mom were always so supportive. Um, I may have shared the story with you. You know, when I when I left when we left Southern California to move to Texas to pastor our first church full time, um, when I, when I told my dad uh, over the phone, he said, "Well, I guess I'll be, I guess I'll be driving the van, the moving van, to take you to Texas." And he did. Wow. He flew down south, and he drove he drove the Hertz. Uh, the Penske rental truck uh, from <laughs> yeah. Southern California to uh, to Spring, Texas. Wow. He um, moved past my first church. Man, that's incredible. I mean, that's that's a high level of commitment. <laughs> yeah, they paid yeah. for my Bible college. He even paid for some of my seminary training. Wow, that's awesome. Um, you know, working as a pastor has obviously got its fair set of challenges, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, some of these, you know, I, I'm sure maybe you couldn't share, but is there any, maybe a couple of times where you saw God's faithfulness in 
dealing with the challenges of being a pastor? Oh yes. Um, you know, this is my this is my third church that I've pastored full time, and then before mm-hmm. that, I was um, in youth ministry for eight years yeah. uh, in Southern California. And so, um, one of the clearest times stand out to me in my first church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I went. Through, I I was I was just I wasn't even thirty years old yet. Wow. I went there when I I went there in April. Uh, didn't turn 30 until July of that year. And so I was just this young, you know, wet behind the ears pastor, thought I had all the right answers. Mm-hmm. And and I remember going to the church. Um, we moved to the church. And then um, a month after we moved, uh, Belva's dad found out that he had terminal cancer. Mm. And um, that was really hard. Yeah. And so uh, he passed away in June, and we had just moved there in April. And so Belva and Justin and Olivia and I, we drove back for the funeral, Mm -hmm. and then they stayed to help her mom, and I flew back to Texas. And from the time that I came to the church until the the time that I interviewed at the church to the time that I came to the church, a lot of the leadership had left. Wow. For various reasons, mm-hmm. um, and, and I, I was, I was one of those reasons for some of the people. Oh man, you know, that's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, and then, and then a few more left after I got there. Um, and I remember one day, um, I was all I felt. I felt so alone. Bell and the kids were in California. <clears throat> And one of the one of the few times I really felt like I audibly heard the voice of God. I was in my office and things were just they were a mess. Things were going south. I mean, people were leaving the church. Um, and I remember laying my head on the desk and I said, God, why have you brought me here? Mm. If it was gonna be like this, why I mean I we left a good we both left good jobs in California. Yeah. Um, we knew once we left, we could never go back economically. And so I said, God, why have you brought me here? And I'm telling you, Stephanie, I can remember hearing a voice as clear and as certain as I hear your voice today saying, Clay, would you have come if you know if you knew it was going to be this way? Mm-hmm. And it was just it was a it was a gut check. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and God just assured me of his faithfulness. I was at that church for seven years, seven and a half years, and it was a hard church, good loving people. But the thing that I learned at that church is that uh, Christians are messy. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) You know, there were a lot of new believers coming into that church and, and that's, that's great on the one hand. The other hand, there was not a lot of strong foundation mm-hmm. in the church. Yeah. And it was very transient. People came and went out of the church for a lot of different reasons. And it was just always something that was on fragile ground. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and I learned then that, that, that Christians, with all of their love and their excitement, they're really messy. Because before that, I had never really – even as a youth pastor, I had never really gotten into the mess of people's lives. Yeah. 
And and the Lord showed me that when leadership and other people walk out and they question you, they question your ability, they question your motives, that God is faithful and he still prepares you. Mm. And and so that's one of the clearest and there's been there's been times other times since then, um, you know, when we, when we served at Rittenhouse together, yeah. Um, you know, I learned I learned the faithfulness of God when we had, you know, when we had that tough inner city ministry that that we all yeah were so well and and love, but also love to hate. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because it was tough. It was hard. Yeah. And um and, and but God was faithful, and and you know we had a great ministry of eleven years there. Yeah. Um. And, and saw the saw the faithfulness of God in in the transformation of that church. Mm-hmm. You know, I I um I tell people, you know, I I don't I I just I only know how to say it. You know, when I went there, uh, they were all old and all white. Yeah. And through those eleven years, it was a long process. It was a hard process, but the congregation, I believe, uh, began to reflect more. Of the city around us, right? Yeah. Um, the demographics changed. The age got younger. Mm-hmm. And then you know, then it became a fully Hispanic congregation, which is probably what needed to happen. And yeah. and I just you know, when we when we steward the things that God gives us to the best of our ability, however imperfect it is, yeah. Um, God is faithful to see us through. Yeah, definitely. I think that's. Um, I think that this the story of of you heading out there and um and hearing how even without I guess knowing you people were starting to leave the church. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's that's kind of a crazy thought. I mean, we've experienced our fair share of difficult things in ministry um mm-hmm. but not not to that level, but how how do you keep from like like taking that personally or 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 after you did come and then people choose to leave like how do you keep yourself how do you stay faithful in those kind of difficult times um it's hard and and I'll just be honest with you you always take it personal yeah i mean you you even even if a job moves someone out of your church you take it personally yeah. you know you say, oh, you know you're always thinking, is there something I could have done, something I could have said, if I could have just been a little bit, a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I would hope that there's not a pastor around that doesn't wrestle with that. I mean, I know I, um, what could I have done? But at the end of the day, what helps me work through that is when, you know, when I look, look myself in the mirror mm-hmm. and I can say, did you do what God called you to do today? Yeah. That then I've done I've done the best I can do. I remember one particular time in that first church where I was really I mean I was really having a battle. Um there were some people that were that really wanted to the only thing I can compare it to is a, is a coup. Yeah. Um and um and, and thank God for for godly deacons who protected me at the time. Yeah. But I remember one day in the shower, just pouring my heart out to God and saying, you, you know, Lord, I'm 
I'm being true to what I know you're calling me to do. Yeah. And, and he just gave me a sense of, it's okay. I'm going to be with you and I'm going to fight this with you and for you. And, uh, so I think, I think that's one of the things that helps me is if I'm being faithful to what God wants me to do, then that's, that's the best, that's all I can do. Yeah. And along with that, I guess, um, another question, how do you keep boundaries on like your time or, you know, your commitments? Because I'm sure, and I mean, the church, I, I know the church, I don't know what your first church was like, but the church that you were at with me and then the church that you're at now, I mean, they weren't huge churches, but there you were one of very few staff members. And so a lot can be expected of you. And some people, it could take one person to drain all of your time. So yeah. <laughs> how, yeah. did you, I, how did you I, uh, I deal with that? You know, they say, are you a senior pastor? Well, no, I'm, I'm a solo pastor. Right. Senior pastor makes me think you've got people underneath you. And mm-hmm. and I've always been kind of a more of a solo. You know, Phil and I worked together for mm-hmm. many years. We had a few other staff. But it's always been smaller churches. And, yeah, so it can really it can really drain you. And I think one of the things um, – I, I, think, I think the boundaries are set on both sides. Um, because I remember my first Wednesday night – at Rittenhouse, uh-huh. um, Justin had a basketball game, Aww. and um, I talked to a few people. Your dad being one of them, yeah. And I said, I I really want to be at my son's game, and they said, then go be at your son's game. Yeah. Um. So I, I think it's I think it's it comes and goes, but because um, there were times in in our in the kids' life growing up where I had to say, you know. Next couple of weeks are going to be pretty crazy, and I've got a lot of meetings or travel, and um, you might not see a lot of dad, but then we're going to carve out time. We mm-hmm. always made it a priority to, to take a vacation. Yeah. Uh, I always tried to protect my day off as, as much as I possibly could yeah. um, and to make my family f- first priority. The flip side, because I, I, you know, I, have, I have pastor friends my age who grew up in pastor's homes of a different generation mm-hmm. who said, um, my dad was always everyone's pastor before they were my dad. Mm. And, and it really messed them up. Some of some of them. Yeah. They had to undo a lot of stuff. Um, but so, so on the one hand as a pastor, because, you know, we like to be needed. We like to be the hero. Yeah. I mean, that's just kind of, part of the personality. Mm-hmm. Um, we like to fix things and feel needed. So we have to say no. Right. And, and our spouses have to say, you need to tell them no. <laughs> yeah. Um, but on the flip side, you have churches and I, and I've had churches that have, that have allowed me to do that, have allowed me to say, you know, I, in fact, I had a, I had a deacon just the other night in our deacon meeting. Uh, we were talking about some things, saying, "Brother Clay, I just want you to know how proud I am and happy that you and Bev go camping all the time because <laughs> that's important." Yeah. So, had churches, the pastor needs to stand up and set the precedent. Yeah. But the church also needs to get behind it and say, you know, um, you need your time too. And so it's it's a delicate balance, and sometimes we don't do it very well. Mm-hmm. 
you know, sometimes we get a we get a little sideways with it and and out of focus, and we have to say, you know, I need to, you know, I need to pull back a, a little bit. Things will go on without me. Yeah, it's true. Um, so that's kind of the harder side, I guess. But what's been one of the biggest unexpected blessings of working as a pastor? Like, um, maybe different than what you expected going into ministry initially. Yeah. Um, one of the most unexpected blessings is, is really how, how the church has blessed my family. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that, that's just very personal. Right. Uh, one, uh, because we moved, um, from California, all of our family, our grandparents were in California. Um, one of the greatest unexpected blessings was how people in our churches, like your family, mm. took us in. We never had to spend a holiday by ourselves unless we wanted to. Right. <laughs> we were always welcome at someone's house. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 senior saints that just loved on my kids. Mm. You know, um, I tell people all the <laughs> all the time. Um, I don't know if it takes a village to raise a family, but it takes a church. Yeah. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, my kids, and they will tell you, um, my kids were blessed by being PKs in, yeah. in their situation. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they tell that to people without being prompted. You know, yeah. they loved growing up and getting to go with other people and being loved and cared for and, and provided for things that people have done for us just mm-hmm. because I was their pastor. Yeah. You know, so that's been a really great blessing. Oh, that's um, awesome. Well, I, I will say, you know, there is a lot of stigma against PKs, um, but I have known both of your kids super well, and I can attest the fact that they turned out very well and uh, didn't seem, at least seemingly, <laughs> have much of a crazy, wild, prodigal time. They uh, they seem to really love the Lord even through that. And I think that's, you know, I think that's God's faithfulness. I think that's also the faithfulness of you and Belva. And then, like you said, I mean, there's community matters and, you know, you've got some great kids and it was a joy to, to be around them. Well, thank you. You know, we, um, we, we are not lost on the fact of how grateful we are with our children yeah. that they turned out like they did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we tried to not put undue expectations on them because they were the pastor's kids. It was more, we expect this because you're our kids. Right. Whether I was a pastor or not, we expect certain things of you. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think, you know, and I, and I know that one of the things that the Lord has, has taught me um, when it comes to parenting is that there are no guarantees. Mm-hmm. You know, you love them, you train them up right, and at some point, they're going to make their decision whether or not they're going to take on that faith on their own. Right. And sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. So I, I know how how blessed I am, but I also know it was because we didn't make church an option. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we we try not to force it, but we we tried to say things like we get to go to church. Yeah. Not that we have to. And, um, and you know, we never had to worry about where they were because most of the time they were with the youth group. Right. 
and and you know people like you know you and Leanna and and other youth pastors and Phil that have mm-hmm. just really mentored our kids um, made it a lot easier on us. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Well, it was our pleasure, hundred um, percent. So, what is a way that working as a pastor is maybe different than you expected? Like that, maybe the expectations are different than you had gone into it with or whatever that might yeah. be to. Um, you know, I think one of the, one of the, um, one of the expectations I had was, you know, if you're the pastor, then, then people are going to just love you and do what you say needs to be done. Um, <laughs> because church is yeah. voluntary, you know, mm-hmm. we can't force you to be here. We can't make you be here. You're here because you want to be but why would you want to be a part of something and not support it and encourage it and help it along to be its best? Mm. You know, that's, that was like, wow. I mean, I, I said earlier, very you know, idealistic of you. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that Christians yeah. Are, are messy, but, and, and, you know, I don't, I don't know who all is going to hear this, uh, but the truth is that sometimes Christians are mean. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, there's just, no other way to say it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but but like everyone else, they have personal agendas, yeah. and they have opinions, and and I think I, I think you know not just with church members, Stephanie, but but men in ministry that I know who have one of the one of the crazy things that I that I've realized is how easy it is for us, all of us, to superimpose our opinions or our ideas onto scripture and mm-hmm. what scripture says. Um, and it's hard to navigate that sometimes, Yeah, you know, take, take any Baptist church when 4th of July falls on a Sunday. Yeah. You know, you're like, mm-hmm. well, that's not really in the Bible. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, just navigating those kind of things because we have these we have these strongly held beliefs and opinions and and not that they're necessarily wrong or bad but they're but they don't necessarily fall in line biblically yeah and you know that's just it's hard to navigate that so that was a big that was kind of a big thing on that was I, I didn't expect that what and th- I don't mean to like put you on the spot, but what is a time, you know, you talked about like, I guess, tradition versus like scripture. Um, what's a time you can think of when somebody got really upset about something that you were like, is this really that big of a deal? I just, oh, I can think of a few funny times that that's happened, but. Uh, I can nothing Nothing comes to my mind right off the top, but just yeah, just different things. Well, when when people will say, "Well, the doesn't the Bible say?" and I'm like, mm, "I'll go back and check," but I don't, I don't think so. I don't remember. I mean, I I know that I'm not the smartest guy, and I and I certainly don't consider myself a theologian. I have a pastor's heart. I am not a theologian, mm-hmm. but I don't remember seeing that. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I think I think one of the biggest things is just, and I don't want to get off on it too much, but every time every time an election year comes up, yeah, 
you know, I I I consider myself a patriot. I mm-hmm. you know, I I love being in America. I love right. the, the freedoms that we have. Mm-hmm. But the flip side is scripture says as a follower of Christ, I give up my freedoms. Right. And so for me, I think the, the one of the one of the one of the most you know, I don't know it's not necessarily funny, but when we but but reminding ourselves that we we have freedoms granted to us by our constitution and, and I'm glad of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I we all benefit from that. Right. But we can't get those things confused with the fact that as followers of Christ we lay down our life and yep. we give up all of our rights. Mm-hmm. You know. Um that's a hard it, again it's hard to navigate that and, and I think we all struggle with that. Yeah, I think you're you know the idea with like patriotism and like how it you know you can you can love the country you're from and be proud of that like you were saying. But I think that we we have to be careful because there very well could come a time where you have to choose who your allegiance is going to be. Yes. And, you know, is our allegiance to Christ or is our allegiance to our country? I mean, we look at right. times in the Bible where Roman allegiance was not in line with being a follower of Christ. And right. <laughs> so, I mean, we we have to be very careful because even though, um, yeah. you know, the world may think of America as a Christian country, there's a lot of things that our country stands for that doesn't necessarily line up with Jesus. So we have to be right. careful in how we navigate those waters. And I want to be, you know, I want to be clear for anyone that might not think I, I, I'm being unclear, <laughs> you know, but I mean, Paul is a good example. I think, you know, yeah. he, he, um, his allegiance was to Christ, but all at the same time, um, he worked his Roman citizenship to the fullest. Yeah. You know, he said, I, I I'm going to Caesar yeah. because it's, it's my right as a, as a Roman citizen. Yeah. And so, we have to. I don't want to say balance because that means they're both equal. Yeah, they're not. No. But you know, I we we need to we need to um, take full advantage of the laws that we yeah. that govern us and our citizenship as as citizens of of this country. So I don't want people to 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 think otherwise. You know, right. you need to use that to your advantage. But sooner or later, there comes a time where we say, ultimately, my allegiance is. To Christ, and right. and that's a hard that's a hard thing for all of us to do. It is, and laying down freedoms and yeah. liberties can be challenging when the time, you know, comes where you know right. God's calling you to something different and to right. to maybe suffer for His name. So, yeah, um, and that's you know that's not something that Americans do well. No, so, we don't <laughs> want to suffer. Yeah, so um, that's that's great. Um, what advice um, would you give to maybe a pastor or a minister? Maybe they're in like the reality phase, you know, like there's the the honeymoon phase where everything's right. fantastic. Like, this is so great. They love our family. and But yeah. maybe they're in that reality phase and they're like, okay, our church is actually filled with messy people or, mm-hmm. you know, mean people. Um, so they're in this reality phase where maybe their expectations have gone unmet. Maybe they're dealing with a lot of disappointment. What mm-hmm. kind of advice would you want to give them in light of, you know, the ways that you've encountered this yourself? 
you know, three things come to three words come to mind: um, love, patience, and diplomacy. Mm. Okay. Um, we have to we have to learn to love people through their messiness, mm. and let them be messy, and let them be ugly and and vengeful. That and that's not to say that it's right, but we have to love them enough to let them work through that. And to know that um, even when they act unloving and when they are unloving towards us, that, that, that as pastors, as ministers, we're called to love them um, and to just, yeah, just to love them um, even when they are being so ugly. Yeah. It, and sometimes that's, that's tough love. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes we have to, you know um, – I remember, uh, again, going back to my first church, um, sweet, dear old lady, we were kind of having, a, it wasn't really a business meeting, it was just kind of, a, we were we were discuss, discussing some things on Sunday night, and uh, she was a, a, a quiet lady in church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, she raised her hand and, and said, Brother Clay, I'd like to say something. I thought, oh, this is going to be good. Um, and she stood up, and she said, Brother Clay... I just want you to know that if you would just learn to preach, this church would be okay. <laughs> what? I'm sorry. Uh, that yeah. is, that's crazy. And, and Belva will attest to the fact, one of the only times in our ministry that the Lord shut her mouth. She, Justin, Justin and Olivia and, and Belva were on the second row. And I just, I, I just thought, I said, well, okay. Thank you for your opinion. I appreciate that. And I, you know, you, you just have to love them. You have to you have to take it, and you have to love them in return. Yeah. Um. The the second thing is is learning to be patient. Mm-hmm. Um. One of the best pieces of advice that I was given when I was getting ready to come to Texas and pass my first church, I went to my pastor at the time, who at that time had been in ministry probably about twenty five to thirty years. And I said, um, his name was Jerry Kaufman, a uh, good godly man. He's, he's retired and living up in uh, North Texas. I said, if you could give me one piece of advice, what would it be? Yeah. And he said, patience. Hmm. He said, to date in my ministry, I have never had to fight for anything I wanted to do. I've had to wait, but I've never had to fight. Hmm. Be patient. Timing is everything. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, in leadership in general, timing is everything. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can come in as the pastor and say, okay, this is what we're going to do and, you know, and do it. And and people might show outward conformity, but you really want them to, to follow you because of your person, not because of your position. Right. And that takes love and patience. And, and the third thing is it takes diplomacy. Mm-hmm. You know, I know how things should be, but that's rarely how they are. Yeah. And and I know that people should be at this place in their spiritual growth, but they're not. Mm-hmm. And so um, the best word I can think of is just diplomacy, knowing that you just have to kind of nurse them along. You have to kind of let them be grow at their own pace. Yeah. Um, you know, I know you've you've talked a lot um, 
in the past on your podcast uh, about um, uh, I think it's um, you know spiritual abuse. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think trying to force people to follow can be spiritual abuse, but so can it be when you try to force people to grow. Yeah. At a particular rate. Yeah. You you just can't do that. Mm-hmm. It it may it may frustrate you. It may sadden you. It may. Uh, it may anger you even, but you just have to let them grow at their own rate. And you have to, I don't want to say be okay with it, but you kind of have to be okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that, you know, you can't, like you said, you can't force someone to grow. Really what that person is is wanting is certain behavior rather than a heart change. They want to see right. that behavior, like whether that's, you know, making them lead some particular ministry or something, that's not creating that heart change. So you can't, right. yeah, you're, you're forcing them into something and making yeah. them feel inadequate. And I mean, we do need to be pushed in some way and that's a hard we, line. We all need to be pushed. Yeah. A hard but line to walk. Yeah. When to, when to let go and, and, right. and back away, give them all the tools and the resources you can to, to grow. I think that's our job as pastors. Right. You know, I want to feed them. I want to give them any and all resources I can, mm-hmm. but it's up to them to right. do the growth. Definitely. I can't, you know, uh, I heard a pastor a long time ago um, say that um, I am responsible to you, but I am not responsible for you. Mm. And I think that's good advice. I, as your pastor, I'm responsible to you to do certain things and to, and to provide you with certain things, but I'm not responsible for your growth. Yeah. That, that's on you. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take on that role yeah. of growing for you or making you grow. Mm. It sounds like in a lot of ways you have to just sort of let go of a lot of your expectations. Um, yes. You know, you can, you can pray, you pray, and you ask God to direct your steps. But you know, just, just like when you're parenting, like. You know, I can I can have all these expectations for my kids, but I have to hold them very loosely because right. they may ha- God may have a totally different plan yeah. for them. And if I come in saying if my kid doesn't do you know doesn't go to college and graduate and get their doctorate or whatever it might be, and I'm going to be disappointed. Well, God may have something so much different, but better mm-hmm. for them in a lot of ways. So letting right. go of those expectations and not letting them, you know, just like as a parent, you can't let your child's accomplishments define you. As a pastor, mm-hmm. the accomplishments of their church are giving glory to God. They are not they are not your resume. Yes, that is so that that's that's a, that's a good word because as as pastors for me particularly because I've always felt like I struggled with um self-esteem and my where I'm at in in ministry compared to other men um you know I have to I just have to be okay with what God has called me to do and and do the best that I can do with what God's called me to do and not worry about what God's called them to do definitely um yeah that's that's really good um so can you think of a time where maybe you, in your years as a pastor, you wish you might have handled a situation differently. 
Yes, <laughs> I can. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how much I, I'm I'm allowed to say. <laughs> Most people don't um, listen to this anyway. <laughs> just letting, letting go of a staff member. Yeah. Oh you know, yeah. There was time at Rittenhouse where we we made some deliberate changes. Yeah. They were they were to some degree precipitated by some financial decisions that we knew we were going to have to make. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, letting a staff member know that we were going in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back, you know, Belva and I've talked a number of times. That was one of my times where I thought I, I didn't handle that well. Yeah. I, I'm not sure what I could have done differently. Yeah. You know, at the time I thought I was doing everything right. Yeah. Um, but looking back, I, I wish I could have dealt with it a little bit differently. Um, there were, um, another time in, 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 in student ministry, if if you remember, um, we had a, um, you know, we had an issue where, you know, cause we dealt with a lot of inner city kids and, and, um, if you remember, we were, we were, we struggled through, um, well, do we provide them a place to smoke on campus? Yeah. You know, I remember that. Mm-hmm. and, and, um, I, I think now looking back, I think I could have been a little stronger as a pastor to come and say, no, this is how we're going to deal with it. Yeah. Um, because I, I don't micromanage. I don't like, I, at least I don't, I try not to, mm-hmm. I try to let people who are in charge of in leadership of different ministries, make those decisions. Um, But I think that that is something looking back because there was a lot of fallout with adults and students that where I should have come in stronger and said, no, we're, we're, we're doing it this way. And you may not like it. You may not agree with me, but ultimately it's my responsibility. And so we're going to do this. Yeah. And, and, and I did. And, you know, yeah. So I would have dealt with that differently. Yeah, I think uh, that same situation, Phil and I probably would uh, would say the same about. So yeah, it's you know. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, it's <laughs> um, it's one of those you know. It depends sometimes where your influences are are coming from, and I think yeah. that there was maybe a book or so, or something that Phil and I were reading at the time that heavily influenced a lot of our feelings on that, and um, we've since you know, kind of, kind of changed on, on some of that, but, um, it's, you know, you're working the best you can with what you have. And, you know, if anybody doesn't have anything that they wish they would have done differently, then they're obviously not growing and maturing and staying humble. And, and again, you know, God is faithful. Yeah. Yes. You know, he brought us through that and, you know, and we, it, it didn't, it, it was kind of messy for a while. Yeah. Um, but God, God brought us through that and, you know, yeah, you have to look at the impact that we had on, you know, just kind of as, as a side note, one of the joys of, of, of being a pastor and being in ministry and those 11 years at, at Rittenhouse um, is the, is the number of lives that we were able to touch yeah. that it sounds trite sometimes, but that only eternity will know right. the difference that we made. But, but I know this. Even through our messiness and even through our mistakes, mm. that there are some kids back then who are, gosh, now they're adults, right. who 
knew that there was a church that loved them yeah. and accepted them mm-hmm. with all their mess. Yeah. Um, and I do it all over again. Mm. I do some things differently, but I do it all over again. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I re- I've really, really enjoyed chatting with you. And um, I feel like I, I need to say a couple of things. And um, for uh, the sake of just clarifying some things, like um, I didn't mention this, but to those that are listening, Clay is the pastor who married Phil and myself. And uh, yeah, and that was uh, almost 14 years ago, which is kind of crazy. And it was, um, it was under Clay's leadership. Phil was working underneath Clay um, at the church that we were able to meet. And I think so much of Phil's growth in that time and maturing and everything has, has a lot to do with your influence in his life. And, oh, um, thank you. yeah. And, you know, I, I, I appreciate that so much. And, um, just the influence that your family has had on our family. But, um, you know, I've, since we've left Rittenhouse, um, I've seen several other pastors and, um, I always, you know, I always thought you could preach well, unlike that lady from your first church, but, um, <laughs> But I also, as you mentioned, talked. you talked about your pastor's heart, and I think that that is what stands out most to me about you. And I think a lot of times, you know, you were talking about comparing yourself to other people in different places in ministry. It seems like um, a lot of times people that are, you know, big and flashy get promoted fast to the heads of really big churches and... Um, they they move up in the ranks, and I don't see the pastoral heart in that. And I don't think that that's, I mean, that's what a pastor is—a shepherd, right? I mean, you're called to to shepherd this flock. Um, I'm not trying to to speak ill of of large churches at all, because I think oh, that right. they do a, do a lot of great things. But I also see, um, I don't, I, I think that sometimes they may be lacking some people, some pastors may lack in humility. And um, I think that you have an immense amount of um, humility and you just show a lot of grace to the people that you come in contact with. And um, thank you. Yeah. And I, and I know that um, on my podcast, you know, we try to talk about some difficult stuff and you mentioned spiritual abuse. And that is something that is a big problem in the church today that I had no clue about. And part of that is because I spent a lot of my formative years with you as my pastor, and I did not encounter that in that time. And um, I am so thankful for that. And I just want you to know that you um, and your family, you're, you talked about the impact in eternity, like your impact on my life is tremendous. And I just want to thank you for that. Well, thank you. Um, it was a joy, you know, serving you. We met when you were, uh, well, however long ago that was. I remember your graduation. Yeah, let's um, don't tell everybody how old I am, right? <laughs> yeah, before that. Um, but um, one of the things that I will say for you and, and Phil um, 
is I appreciate th- those words, but I also appreciate the fact that you both were um, willing, and maybe, maybe Phil a little bit more because I worked with him more directly. Yeah, um, I know you're listening to this, Phil. Um, <laughs> but but for the pushback that he did give me sometimes, yeah, to to say you know he, um, you know I I I said I don't I don't consider myself a theologian. Um, I consider Phil Baker a theologian. Mm. Um, yeah. So he's he's given me a a, a great appreciation for the scriptures and mm. uh, has caused me to dive in deeper sometimes than maybe I would have on my own. So I appreciate that about yeah. about Phil and and about you. Mm. Um, yep. And to just see how you guys have grown and and where you're at in your ministries and and walk with the Lord. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. Love you. Love you too. I love how you can just hear Clay's heart for people and his love of the Lord. It truly motivates everything he does. And I can say with confidence that I am a better disciple of Jesus because of his influence. Thanks so much for listening, friends. I pray that it was encouraging to you. If you love the Faithful Podcast, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Reviews help others find the podcast so that it can be a blessing to them. And while you're there, remember to hit the subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. You can find me on Instagram at Faithful Podcast or at faithfulpodcast.podbean.com. Have a great week and remember to stay faithful, friends.